Hey, thanks for tuning in to today's episode. When you're done, make sure to head to our website at unapologists.com where you can see all of our latest updates and our season lineup. And while you're there, head over to the support page so you can find out ways to keep the show going. Enjoy today's episode. Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Unapologist Podcast. The best PD happens in your backyard. Today, we have the Indiana Jones of religion teachers, Christopher Polson. Hey, if I'm the Indiana Jones of religion teachers, you, sir, you're the greatest adventurer of all time. Oh, thank you. The nightmare you always want to get out of. Okay, Vito Kelsey <laughs> on this end. Chris. Vito. Got a question for you, man. It's a question we, we go back and forth on quite a bit. Yes, lay it on me. You know, we're big science fiction fans. What what do you think has been the biggest influence on your thinking? Which science fiction book has been the biggest influence on your thinking? So for this question, I have to go back to when I was younger. And I have to think about the one that's had the longest influence. Because there are some that have, you know, even ones I've read recently that have had like, whoa, mind-blowing influence. But I have to go back to Neil Stevenson's Snow Crash. Uh, and I thought long and hard about this. There was a lot of contenders for this one. But it's Snow Crash because I read it at an age where a lot of the science fiction, a lot of the philosophy, a lot of the discussion around language and things like that, I was very much ripe to start thinking about that sort of stuff. And uh, I'd have to say that's a book that I probably read once a year and I'm not the type to go back and reread things. So that is that that's had a huge influence. I love that book. I love that author. Oh, how about you? Oh, I was going to say, I love his info dumping seven eaves, 14 pages on how to build a nuclear reactor at the side of a comet. I was all over that. There you go. There you go. Some people can't stand his info dumping. I'm like, lay it on me. I love it. Uh, I, I love that too. What? How about you? Biggest sci-fi influence on your thinking, my friend. You know, it was Ender's Game for the longest time. Just the psychology of putting children into precarious positions of leadership and intelligence. And I just kind of love that moral philosophy behind it. Um, but then I think... Uh, I don't know. I, I, like it, it still sticks with me, but Isaac Asimov's Foundation series, I think, just takes it to a whole new level. Well, there you go. And yes, big numbers, right? Um, so you know that, that that's been the foundation for me. But, I love it. But here's here's the big thing, though. Why are we still talking? Yeah, it, let's. Hey, wrap it up, guys. Wrap it up. Like why? Why? No one. No one came to hear us. No one. And no one, no, yeah, why about this conversation, especially? But tell I me who we have tonight. Tell me who we conversation because tonight we got someone amazing. Like season three, I don't know how we did it. We just season three, some of the best like people on this planet. And, and my goodness, we got someone t- tonight, Chris. <laughs> Drop it like guy. it's hot. Drop I love it. This guy, I love him so much. He's actually a teacher. In the Auto Catholic School Board, and we've got to work together a few times. You'll appreciate this. We worked together, and my usual discourse, I left. Yeah, of course. But then I came back, and I got to work with him again. So that's that's how much I love this guy. Um, He was originally studied earth science at uh, Laurentian University uh, before moving to Ottawa. And he's taught science and photography. He's a department of science right now and has been for the past 15 years. He collaborated on the development of educational resources 
with the Canadian Space Agency. So like, much space on. this season. So much like, space. I love so much it. Space, right? Oh, like my, my Carl Sagan heart is bl- blossoming. He's presented at the Calgary City Teachers Conference. He's a regular presenter at the Science Teachers Association of Ontario Conference. And in 2011, he received the Prime Minister's Award for Teaching Excellence in Space Education. We got Sean Clark on the show tonight. Sean, welcome Sean to the Clark. show. Welcome Thanks, to the show. Guys. Thanks. Wow, so good to have you on. Thank you. Thank you for being here, Sean. Much appreciated. I'm excited to watch this conversation because I might not have a lot to add to it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so like all our guests, we, we like to hear the story. So tell, tell us the story. How did you get into teaching and what led you on the path you're on today? Well, uh, I, I, I think if, if I could throw one word out there that kind of led me on my path to teaching, and, and you're going to hear this word a lot for me tonight, uh, it's that I'm... I realized in preparing for this conversation with you gentlemen, I, I think I'm a little bit of an opportunist. I, n- I never really kind of narrowed it down to that before, but I just, uh, I, I kind of like to go where the river takes me. Um, and so when I, uh, when I was finishing up high school, my original plan was I wanted to be a journalist. I had no aspirations being a teacher. Um, I had, you know, worked at summer camps and been a, a lifeguard and, and swimming instructor and that kind of stuff. So I had that in my, in my background and my mom was a teacher. So I had that in my background. Um, but, uh, my, like I was convinced I was going to be a journalist. So I, I applied to the two journalism programs in Ontario. Uh, but you know, there was that, that third application spot on my, on my high school, app, on my university application, right? So I, uh, I just went with whatever looked interesting to me. And I, I loved the Sudbury area. I vacationed there a few times as a kid. So I just beelined straight to Laurentian University and they had an earth science course, uh, earth science program. Uh, so I, I ticked that box. And sure enough, um, I, I did get into journalism programs. But then right when I was ready to accept, I got into the science program. I said, well, hey, you know, why not try this? Um, and they were they were very generous and had offered me a scholarship. So I figured, you know, everybody that I'd heard of going to university, you know, screwed up that first year or blew it off or made a mistake. So I'm like, well, if I'm going to make a mistake, let it be on somebody else's nickel. Uh, that's a little Sudbury joke for those people in Alberta. The Sudbury um, people are loving it. Yeah, excellent. Good. Um, anywhere else you'd be on somebody else's dime, right? Um, so I, I, I took advantage of the, uh, the free ride for that one year and, uh, and very much the same when I, when I was finished university, I was like, okay, well now I'm going to be a science journalist and I was ready to go. And I got into a photojournalism program and I also decided to apply to teachers college, a whole bunch of people I knew were applying and they got rejection letter after rejection letter. And I guess my experience with summer camps and the lifeguarding and swimming instructing that I've been doing looked good because they accepted me to teacher's college and everybody I knew got turned down. So I couldn't very well like go back to them and say, oh, I turned it down when I got in. So I picked it up and and I went with it. And, uh, and this was 1997 and in, in, Ontario, like we were literally told on graduation day, if somebody offers you a job, take it. Don't worry about what it is, where it is, what you're teaching. Just take it, get your foot in the door. And, uh, and so I, uh, I moved out to Ottawa, uh, followed my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife. Uh, and, uh, I, I sat down and, and 
started supply teaching out in Ottawa. And then before you knew it, uh, September rolled around and our, our good friend Mike Harris for the politically inclined uh, might remember that that, that little uh, throwback from the from the late 90s. Um, he decided to change the retirement factor and a whole bunch of us got sucked in in uh, 1998 and that's it. That's, uh, the, I, I'd originally figured I'd take my teaching license on the road and, and travel overseas. But uh, when I was at St. Pius, actually, uh, I found out that their, uh, their photography teacher kind of put a bug in my ear. She said, you know, I'm, I'm not far from my retirement when she heard that I had a photography background. And so I stuck around and, and managed to scoop that up and, and had a great time teaching photography and science. It was kind of a 50-50 split for the, the first eight years of my career. So what uh, what eventually con- convinced you? Because you're 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 telling your story here. You're kind of going with the wind, and then you're just like, hey, this is working out. So what was it about the classroom? You're like, you know what? You know, I'm going to stick with this. I like doing this. I'm I, I'm going to leave that photojournalism to the side. Uh, truthfully, you, you're you're very much right. I, I was pretty much just going with the wind at at the beginning. Um, there, there was a lot of things I loved about it. Don't get me wrong. Like I I I had. In my first couple of years, I had some great connections. Um, I, re- I remember I had uh, I had the the school that I was at St. Pius uh, was kind of borderline inner city. There was a lot of I wouldn't say super needy kids, but really really genuine kids. And I had the I had some great opportunities to make some really special connections with some kids right out the gate. And uh, and then once I got into teaching the photography program as well. Um, I had some, some really spectacular kids and I mean, every classroom's got its dynamics. Um, but there, there was always, there was always a, a, a core group of, of really special, genuinely interested and passionate students there, um, that kind of kept me coming back day after day. And, and I realized, nah, I don't need to travel. I don't need to do the journalism thing. Um, and, uh, and that's, that's what kind of kept me in. That's that. Go ahead, Chris. I really like what you say too about this uh, this this idea of being an opportunist because I think that's something that is it's very relevant for teachers today because I think more than ever there is opportunity to do cool things in teaching and I think this this kind of the way you're thinking about how like I, I go where the river took me I don't think that's I don't think that's bad advice for for young teachers these days either um, because there is so many amazing things you can do in teaching it even in even within teaching science like just within if yeah I don't even have to leave my department and I could like grade nine and 10 science, each of them covers all four different branches of the sciences. Um, and like I teach grade 12 earth science. Uh, so that's earth and space. So I literally go from the center of the earth to the farthest reach of the universe. So I can pretty much cover anything I want uh, in, in teaching. Um, and, and people are like, oh, you know, how would you work this into your class? I'm like, ah, that goes in lesson five, right? Like if I really wanted to shoehorn something in. Um, but like, I, I also teach kinesiology. So I get the opportunity to, to work with kids kind of on a physical level. Uh, once you get your foot in the door in a school, then there's coaching and clubs and all kinds of things, all different ways to, to make really meaningful, valuable connections with people and, uh, and kind of, you know, learn from them, help teach them. Um, 
it's just a wealth of opportunities. I, I think you could probably do something different every year of your career and never get bored. Well, then, then this is where we, I want to step off because you are been teaching science to the department head of it, and that can be a really tough buy-in for students. So in your opinion, what, what's challenging about hooking students into the study of science, and why do you think there's so much apprehension? Well, I, I think a lot of kids think that, you know, science is all about the lab report, right? Because they, they, you know, they learn kind of in grade six and seven, there's that scientific process and you got to do your purpose and, you're, and, and they learn that. And then they think that that's everything for science. And, and, and let's face it, like when, when you start going down the list and who are the smartest people that you've ever heard of, 99% of them end up in the science field, right? Like you start naming people, it's the Galileos, it's the Einsteins. And so there's that daunting ceiling, I think, that a lot of kids look at and go, well, that's not me. Um, I'm just going to hide down here in, in arts and humanities and, and whatever. Um, I, I think it does give kids something to aspire to. Uh, and, and that certainly is part of it, right? That, that formal process, uh, the, the formal all those formal laws and things like that. That's certainly part of it. Um, but I, I think that when kids, like if, if you want to really get kids into science and kind of get over that apprehension, you got to kind of boil it down to um, like what science is really all about. And that's, you know, just looking at things and, and knowing what questions to ask. Um, day one, grade nine, most of the times I start out, I just pull out my rock collection, right? I got all these box from boxes of rocks from teaching earth science. And I put one on each kid's desk and I say, like, tell me what this is. Like, not tell me what it is, but describe it for me. And they're like, well, it's uh, shiny. And then, oh, well, it's blue. And this one's brown. And this one's rough. And this one's smooth. And this one's stinky. Um, and, and then once I can kind of get them from thinking that they have to describe something like an academic and they can just describe it in grade two words, right? And I'll say that a lot to them. I'm like, oh, that's a good grade two word, or that's a grade seven word. Now let's work on our grade nine words. But I let them know that those grade two words are where you start. Right? Like I'll say to them, if I were to take this into a grade two class at the elementary school, what would they tell me? Let's start there. Um, and then I think, I think that's kind of what makes it accessible for kids um, and, and kind of getting them to the point where they can say, I don't know what this is, but I know what it reminds me of. I, I know what some of the simple properties are and I know what I, I want to know about it, right? Like I want to know, is this made of metal maybe, or I want to know what of the three types of rocks that I can remember from grade nine geography uh, is this particular thing, right? Um, so getting them, getting them from working in those simple grade two, what's familiar words to what do I want to know about this? I think that's kind of the, the biggest challenge of hooking kids into science. It, and it, it lets them know that, that science is about those three words. I don't know, right? Science isn't about Eureka or, or, you know, I understand or e equals MC squared. It's, it's about, I don't know. And, and recognizing what is it I do know? What is it I want to know? And how do I go about finding that? So. And what I love about what you said there too, you bring something in because, you know, you say, you know, what's science really about? It's about a lot of really cool stuff that 
if you just like you said, if it's just a lab report on paper, it's not as engaging. But the fact that you said I can talk about the center of the Earth all the way out to the farthest reaches of the galaxy, I think that's so it's so cool and fun. And how engaging is that when you come in and you say, "Here's a bunch of rocks. Let's talk about them." Instead of you'll be doing a three-page report. You know, <laughs> I love that. I I I just love it because. As someone who who struggled in the sciences, one of the reasons I struggled was the engagement component of it. Um, the other thing I think that might turn a lot of kids off science is that there's usually some math involved, um, and uh, and and I, I like I know that math. There's a big giant spotlight shining on the math world um, in education right now, and there probably has been for the last thirty years, um, and. And, and I think because of that, because there's so much pressure put on these, you know, every, every three years they have their, their, their provincial math tests. And I don't know if you guys have those up in Alberta, but uh, we have them here. And because there's such a spotlight shining on that, um, I, I think that that can be really daunting. And unfortunately, I think a lot of kids have been told at some point, well, you don't have to be good at math or not everyone is good at math. And I, I, I think that's a little bit like saying, you know, microwave ovens aren't for everyone, right? Like math isn't for everyone. <laughs> microwave ovens, are, of course, microwave, like I don't have to know the nuclear physics of how the microwave works to work the basics and heat up my food, right? And yes, I could say microwave ovens aren't for everybody. And, and can I get through my life without a microwave oven? Sure. I got a stove and a barbecue and a campfire if I really want to cook food. But let's face it, if I learn the basics of a microwave and I put a little bit of time in and practice that, it's going to pay off for me. Like it's going to make my life easier. And, and I think that that's, that's one of the things that we try to work on with the kids and, and get them past that apprehension about math and realize that math is just a way of describing relationships. And if the kids can get past that, then they see that science is really just a way of describing relationships like, oh, these two things are similar in this way, but different in another way. And we've had a few math teachers on the show to, to even discuss that, this breaking this idea of a math, quote unquote, math person and the apprehension that students have. I know I'm teaching grade eight math. Students came in with all the preconceived notions. I hate math. I'm not good at math. Or I love math because I can perform on a test. Or just tell me yeah. what the formula is. And it's trying to get them to understand that mathematics is a way of thinking about the world, not necessarily an end to itself. So um, I love how you're breaking that in your science class as well. That's fantastic. So let's, let's, let's go through your methodology then. So you get them in. All of a sudden they realize, hey, th this class ain't going to be so bad. We're describing rocks and we got this cool teacher and... Uh, I, I feel like I can do this. So what, what, what happens next? How do you bring students in the life of your courses? That, again, I'm going to come back to the word I introduced. I'm an opportunist, right? Like the, the great thing about teaching grade nine and 10 science. Um, and and I, even, even in some of the senior sciences as well, Every unit's a little bit different. Every unit has a different feel. Every unit focuses on slightly different, a slightly different skill set. Um, and so I kind of like to go with what fits for that subject matter. Um, and I mean, like between the, the grade nine and 10 course, we got eight different units. Um, you know, I'll teach chemistry in a very traditional, here's the lesson, here's some practice sheets. 
Uh, here's a couple of labs sprinkled throughout the unit uh, that kind of reinforce the concepts, but it's very much lesson practice, little bit of application. Uh, then we get into like the, the grade nine uh, ecosystems unit. And we've started to teach that in the last couple of years, you know, PC, uh, pre-COVID. Um, we started to teach that a little bit as kind of a case study. So we gave them a few little basic lessons, but then each group of kids was working on a different ecological problem. Um, so, so that was very much kind of group inquiry driven. Um, so for can, about can you give the, us an example of, of just how that worked or what? So like one, one, one group of kids, like we, we might do a few simple lessons on, you know, food chains and basic relationships and things like that. And then we give the kids uh, their, their topic or their question. And the, the one question might be, um, how, how are some ways that humans are affecting deforestation rates? Uh, and what are some of the impacts on ecosystems because of this? So after the kids have been introduced to some basic vocabulary that we do through a clever little jigsaw story writing, um, then they, they can kind of work their way through that problem then they do a little presentation at the end. So in the end, everybody sees all the other problems and solutions and ecological impacts and human influences. They see all that, but really they've kind of got to become sort of masters of one real key issue. Um, so what I'm really liking about this too is this idea of using what fits where it fits that you spoke about um, a little bit earlier. Because so often we try to, you know, every educator, they try to make the best thing fit. You know, you got to have this really cool and dynamic lesson and has to be here and it has to be in everywhere. But some lessons, that's not what it calls for. And I really like yeah. this idea of using what fits where it's supposed to go. I think that's that's a that's a big vibe right there for me that I think a lot of teachers, it. It, there must be a sigh of relief going on here thinking, wait, you mean I don't have to be teacher of the year every single lesson? Some of them I, I can I can do, you know, try tested and true methods. So that's really cool. And then, I mean, the whole idea of the, the ownership of education that you can put on students when they're solving a problem and they're learning about the problem as they're going through it. Big vibes over here. I just like I, I've seen some of your lessons. I've I've walked in a few times where you know I I've been in orbit. Uh, <laughs> one of, one of your lessons on on my way uh, this year. Can, can can you walk me through like the the physical element you take? I, I like that. That was so cool. Like can can you describe that for me? We we've got a very open door policy in the science department. Um, we like people are always walking through our classrooms. First of all. We have four classrooms all centered around our prep room. And in the middle of the prep room is our storage room for all of our chemicals and equipment, right? So in like, I cannot think of a single day that has gone by that somebody has not walked through one of my classes. In, in terms of the physical setup of the classroom, I've, I've been a big fan of, first of all, stand-up desks. Um, like I, I always tell my kids, I cannot, in, in all honesty, I think from the time I entered grade nine to the time I graduated university, I managed to fall asleep in at least one of every single class that I ever had, right? And I'm not, I'm not talking like, you know, I got a little drowsy and was doing the woodpecker. I'm talking full on imprint of the textbook on the side of my face with a puddle of drool on the textbook asleep. 
Um, and and I, I chalked that up to sitting down in a desk for an hour and a half or a three hour lecture in university and your body's not built for that, right? So first thing I tell my kids now, and, and I've been doing this probably for about the last six years now, in our science labs, we've got all these lab benches around the back of the classroom. And I say, if you're feeling drowsy at all, or even if you just prefer to stand up, stand up. Like this is your desk, that's your safe space. But if you wanna get up and go to the back of the class, uh, I've got little desk risers. The kids can kind of stand up, park their elbows on the desk riser, put their pads up a little bit higher. Um, so in terms of physical space, that's that's like number one for me is that the kids feel that they can get up and stand up. And and some of the kids, you know, you'll see them drowsing off, do, dozing off, right? And it's like, oh, okay, why don't you come around here in the back and you can see better from there. Um, so that that to me is paramount, like making sure that the kids feel comfortable um that they feel that that is their space um i i like to encourage the kids to use stuff to touch stuff to play with stuff as much as possible uh so i i'll often have demos set up we'll just bring models in and you know there's a model of the human body where you can kind of pluck out the heart or the lungs and stuff and let the kids get in and play um so that that to me is uh is is kind of like right up there um making sure that there's there is physical interaction like not pencil and paper is very important don't get me wrong um and i think note-taking skills have their place but the more kids can do with their hands the better um yeah and, and that, that's what I mean. you were outside and the kids are moving i think you were talking about orbits uh elliptical orbits and like, oh, oh that was our bot that was that was covid stuff so yeah. that that was actually that that again there's another opportunist moment right so when we realized this year that we were going to be teaching classes that were two and a half hours long as i said like kids in a 75 minute class were getting dozy before this year when we came back in september we had kids every second day but we had them for two and a half hours um and so I know a lot of school boards in Ontario were doing that. I don't know what was going on in, out in Alberta. Um, but uh, we, had the, we had the kids every second day for two and a half hours. Then they go home and do their online learning, we hoped. Um, but we, we literally decided, there was a few of us in, in my department, and it kind of filtered around the school. We said, these kids are going on a body break. And, and I, I used to play the, the body break, Hal Johnson, Joanne McLeod. I don't know if you guys remember that. Yes. Uh, so we, oh, we, yes. I, I, had, I had the little theme music, and I, had, like, I found it on YouTube uh, with the cheesy 80s hair and everything. Uh, so, but we'd get up and we'd go outside and I just decided like some people just, you know, kind of took their kids on a lap around the school and I figured, well, let's, let's get them up. And there's so many things that we try to demonstrate visually anyway and physically anyway. And I've done a few of those things uh, in the past, but yeah, like this year was kind of special because we were encouraged to go outside with your kids, take them outside. If it was raining, I'd just go down and take over the, the atrium in the middle of the school um, and I had, you know, I gave kids little signs, you know, each kid got a sign. It was basically just a circle with a, the letter of a planet on it. Um, so we were doing the distances between planets. Uh, we were talking about the orbits of, uh, planets going around the sun and the difference between a solar day and a sidereal day. Uh, so this is all some, some, you know, fun astronomy stuff. For example, Chris, how long is a day? That's 24 hours, my friend. 
It is exactly 23 hours and 56 minutes, actually. There we go. The Earth takes 23 hours and 56 minutes to turn on its axis. But because it's going around the sun, it has to go a little bit farther in that turn. And so it actually takes 24 hours until the sun has come up again on the horizon. Uh, and so when humans first sat down and said, well, this is what a day is. A day is from the time that the sun is at high noon to the sun is at high noon the next day. Then they broke that up into hours, minutes, seconds, etc. And then, you know, a few hundred years go by and we realize, oh, well, guess what? The earth is actually returning on its axis. It's not the sun going around. Anyway, all that to say, that's a pretty complicated thing to explain to you, even though you can see me right now and everybody else is just listening, going, what's Sean talking about? But if I can take kids outside and I can make one kid the sun and I can make every other kid rotate on their axis and then revolve around that sun, the kids got it, at least most of them. <laughs> And really, too, I mean, I teach I, I teach grade 12s, and even at the grade 12 level, when it's a nice day outside, I've never met a student who hasn't asked me, "Can we do class outside?" <laughs> so that that was that was my consolation this year is, yeah, we're gonna sit in class and we're gonna be in here for a long time, and some days we're gonna be doing labs and stuff, but the days that we're not getting up to do a lab we're outside for at least 15 minutes and we're doing demos. Uh, I had them doing demos of just chemical reactions. So I gave each kid a little sign. So they were different elements. And then I had them move around so that we can make different chemical reactions. I had them be parts of an atom, protons, neutrons, and electrons. And they were all running around each other in circles. Um, so yeah, we, we had, we had a lot of fun with our body breaks this year. That was, that was, I'm actually kind of looking forward to that aspect carrying on next year because I understand that we're going to be probably going back to two and a half hour long classes next year. So I got to I got to up my game a little bit for those body breaks as, as we move back in next year. And another thing I think that's really cool about that too, I, I read a, a book a number of years ago about memory. I think it was called like Moonwalking with Einstein or something like that. I, I'd have to look it up. But there's a, there's a lot to say like, when we have an experience, we, we remember experiences so much more than we remember things like lists and things like that. So just that aspect of the teaching and the learning process is some, is some really deep learning. And there, there's actually a lot of studies on that too. Just five minutes of movement before a lesson can really help center a student. Um, yeah, they say that if exercise could be turned into a pill, it would be the most prescribed drug on the planet. Uh, just yeah. every time over. So let's let's talk about your bread and butter then. Astronomy, Earth science, space, the everything, uh, the universe. So, what inspired you, like, to say, yeah, I'm gonna just team up with Canadian Space Agency and just create a course for this? And and you know, what what do you hope students gain from it? Um, what inspired me? Uh, I'm gonna turn it over to you guys. Can you word what brought me into teaching astronomy? opportunist he's an opportunist bingo so my my background and i'm, I'm going to throw this out because the last time i had the um i i used this reference and i told Vito i wasn't going to but I, i'm going to throw it out there anyway my background in astronomy i was brought up on the holy star trek star wars and battlestar galactica um and, and I know I'm saying that to a couple of chaplains right now, and, and there's probably, I'm just waiting for the lightning bolt to come down right now. But um, 
beyond that, I, you know, I can remember watching the Perseid meteor shower in August uh, with a friend from camp uh, who was a huge astronomy buff. Like uh, he, he was very broken up because he was going away to Australia that summer and he hadn't memorized all the Southern constellations yet. Um, and I, I was nowhere near that level, but we, we would go out every night and just kind of check out what we could see from, from the back of our cabin. Um, but that was it. That was my, my level of astronomy knowledge. And, and I didn't really come at this with a huge wealth of knowledge, but in 1999, uh, they kind of changed the, the science curriculum. And with that 1999 revision, they added for the first time earth and space science. So, you know, added onto chemistry, biology, and physics for the first time, there was a formal let's recognize earth and space science. Um, and so in grade nine, they added an astronomy unit. And like every other teacher in the province, I'm sure, well, you know, 99% of us, um, I had no background in teaching astronomy, no real knowledge of, of half the stuff that was in the curriculum. But one of the teachers in our board, Dave Lozon, um, had put together an astronomy course for teachers. It was a little weekend thing. We went out to a dark sky site in Almont. Uh, to do some observing out there and my department head said hey i'll pay for us to take this course uh, i can get the money for us to take this course so there's an opportunity i said yeah let's go for it and uh and so three of us went out and took that course um and dave did a great job of kind of breaking down all the nitty gritties of things that i had to know you know like the fact that the earth actually turns on its axis in 23 hours and 56 minutes um that was from him um but uh from there, I just kind of said, well, I'd like to do a little bit more with this. And my, and my department head said, well, I've got this, I've ordered a telescope for us, for our department, which, you know, maybe we can do some observing at night. Um, but because I was also the photography teacher, she, she said, why don't you go home, take the telescope home and take some sky pictures for us. So some pictures of some of the uh, constellations and, and, and the moon and things like that. So I learned how to build a, a little apparatus to take pictures of the constellations. And I took the telescope home to do some lunar pictures and Saturn and Jupiter and things like that. Um, and it was literally just one opportunity after another. And so Dave came back to Pius one night and we did a little star night. Um, by 2003, I had taken a look at the, the senior curriculum and realized that there was on the books an earth and space science course for grade 12 students. And because my background was in geology, I had the earth part kind of ticked off and I was really ramping up the astronomy stuff. So I got on board with that. And between that and the star night that I had done with Dave, and we had, you know, maybe a dozen kids or so come out to, to Pius one night uh, to look at the sky. This was back before you needed six reams of, of paperwork to run any kind of trip like that. It was just like, hey, we're going to set up the telescope tonight. Come on out. Um, because of that, I had kind of made a little, what well, I was carving out a niche for myself, I guess you could say. And uh, one of the other teachers, one of the guidance counselors said, hey, I heard about this opportunity to work with an astronaut. Um, and I thought of you. So she threw this my way. And uh, this Canadian Space Agency was doing a math module, actually, and it was all about trying to use 3D vector geometry to figure out where the space station is above the Earth. So you kind of use the Earth as zero, zero point, your zero, zero, zero point, right? 
And then you had to use 3D vector geometry to figure out where the space station was and where it was going to, which isn't really accurate because it doesn't follow straight lines. It goes in a curve. But anyway, um, so that was kind of my first big project. And then because of that, because of teaching the grade 12 course for a couple of years, uh, I managed to, uh, I guess the, the, the next thing was the, uh, the board-wide, uh, we did like board-wide exams for a while. And the first board-wide exam that came out, there was a couple of us in the board that really weren't happy with the space unit because it was all just like, you know, what is the name of this constellation? We thought there was supposed to be a little bit more to it. Um, so I got on the curriculum review, uh, team, or I got on the, the exam review team in 2005 to do that. And then in 2006, they asked for writers for the, to review the, the science curriculum in high school in Ontario. Uh, so I got on that team there. Um, and, uh, based on the little bits of things that I had done up to that point, off I went. And so that was kind of my story. Uh, I guess the moral of the story is when interesting stuff comes up, you jump on board because one thing leads to another, leads to another. And uh, like I said, along the way, I managed to carve this niche out for myself. And then, you know, five years later, I got to meet the prime minister and shake his hands in the same room that the picture of Winston Churchill was taken. And I got to tell you, we had a whole week of really phenomenal things the year that we got that award. There was 14 of us, I think, from all over Canada that came into Ottawa. We spent a week together. Uh, we got to meet the Governor General, David Johnson. We got to meet the Prime Minister's wife. We had like cocktail party at our house. The coolest thing for me was standing in the Speaker's chamber and I looked at the back wall and I realized that's where Joseph Karsh took the picture of Winston Churchill when he like ripped the cigar out of his mouth and this Churchill's got that wicked scowl like that the quintessential Churchill picture that you see that that was that room so that was kind of I just went on a whole tangent there so that's like, awesome that's, that is so awesome that's so cool so cool all because I took a little weekend astronomy course really like the well it goes right to what you said when interesting stuff pops up don't let it pass you by you know you if you hadn't have been the opportunist as a young person starting your career you never would have got there just by saying yes to the opportunity and now that you've been running this course for a while like you know you, you've kind of figured out the rhythm for it so what, what uh what's your aim for what you hope students to get out of it i mean i know there's curriculum expectations but most teachers usually have like a kind of really what what they really want students to to understand and know from this like they the, want them to the bro I, I call those the broader theme um if you're uh if if i don't know if you if you ever watched the the west wing mm -hmm. the, the aaron sorkin show um they the the one episode that they, they were trying to find the or the there was a, a lander supposed to land on mars and they were going to broadcast the pictures back to these kids all over the all over the country and the president kept saying i want a broader theme i want so i always like to have a broader theme in in each of my classes and, and sometimes break down to each each individual unit like when i teach grade 10 climate change we the, the big broader theme there is cause and effect like everything gets down to cause and effect um i think the broader theme that i look for with my with my grade 12 course specifically is it's, it's a little bit like a CSI. 
right? Like I, I, I like right from day one, we walk in, I got a big pile of just jumbled posters and crap, like the, the kind of stuff that you probably got a pile of sitting in the back of your class. I fabricate these piles and put them on about three or four different desks. And I have the kids kind of dissect those piles and see if they can tell the story of what's gone on this in the room based on what's in the pile. Right. And they so they flip through and, you know, they find a, a, a periodic table while wow, somebody was teaching chemistry in here. And then they scroll down a little bit. And, oh, well, here's a here's a copy of the Bible. Somebody was teaching religion in here. And so they can kind of go through that pile and figure out the story of what was going on there. And that to me is really what the grade 12 Earth and Space course is about, uh, is being able to look at something and tease out pieces of it and from that come up with a story of what that thing is where it came from and how it got there um and and yeah that's a big component of the curriculum uh that that they're that they're supposed to be uh kind of ticking the boxes on uh but i think it's i think it's a very valuable tool for science in general for kids to be able to look at something and say based on the skills that I have, the toolbox of skills that I have in my pocket, I can tease out some meaning from that and, and make an analysis like a, an escape room or a puzzle, right? Um, and I mean, if you go into an escape room by yourself, you're probably not gonna do that well, but if you go in with uh, five or six friends and each of them comes from a different background, then you can all kind of put your expertise together. Um, the, the nice thing about teaching the earth and space class is I get kids who might have only one other science or no other sciences. Like some kids are just coming to me straight from grade 10. Uh, I get some kids who've done grade 11 and 12 physics, right? And so we'll get to certain aspects of the course. I'm like, okay, where are all my physics people, right? And the hands go up and, and I can say, okay, well, so these guys can tell you that this is the relationship between force, mass, and acceleration. But the rest of us are going to get to see this uh, as we swing these pendulums around and see how things orbit around a planet. Um, and so the, the kids start to realize that, oh, I had that piece. I had that knowledge. I was able to bring something to that problem. So that when we do, I've got kind of three big labs that I have the kids design. Uh, the students actually design the lab sort of pretty much from scratch. I kind of give them a general model and a general problem and they have to figure out like what happens to water as it filters through the groundwater and then comes out the rock at the bottom, right? And so the kids who are real keen on chemistry will be looking at the pH and you know what what uh, ions has it picked up. The, the physics kids all want to know how fast the water goes down through Right. And the biology kids, they're all looking, well, has it picked up any biologic matter along the way? Right. So they're looking for signs of life. So each kid is able to bring something different. And then when they step back and look at the, their labs together, they realize, well, it was all of those things. But you get to you get to focus on what means something to you. So. That what means something to you. I, Vito, I love it. <laughs> I knew you would. I knew you would. So <laughs> right him on. <laughs> so at the end of the day, like, there's so many points you've hit upon. There's so many things that you do, uh, and there's many threads that we could pick up here. But what do you think teachers should be unapologetic about in their practice? Um, 
kind of not related to anything else I've talked about, I would probably say valuing equity over equality. Okay? I, know, I know we we'd like to think that, you know, or we're told uh, that students are all equal. They're not. Um, and I, I think that we, we need to kind of dispel that and, and be able to work beyond that. Um, it's okay to expect more from some kids and to reward some for something that might not be acceptable from others. Um, okay, it, it, it's very tough skirting the line of these are the standards of this class or this course or this assignment or this lesson. Um, and what is an acceptable accomplishment from Johnny versus Sally versus Harry versus Bill, right? Um, I, I kind of, I, I have a little bit of a red pen rule. Um, and yes, I use a red pen and maybe that's something else that teachers need to be unapologetic for. Um, but uh, I think students should pretty much all get the same amount of red pen on their assignment or their test, regardless of whether that test got a 95 or a 55. Um, I, I think that, you know, if you, if you mark up Tommy's paper because he got a 55 and there's red pen all over the place, well, then maybe, you know, Tommy's just going to get bombarded, right? Like he's going to get overloaded. He's not going to be able to process all that. So Billy's paper that got, you know, a 99.5, maybe I still can give Billy feedback, right? Like I can still say, oh, this is a great idea, Billy, but you left it short. This is a great idea. Give me a specific example. I can still give Billy four out of four on that question, right? But I'm going to give Billy five or six things maybe throughout that hour long test that he can look back on and reflect on and learn from. Um, whereas Tommy, maybe he gets five or six things where I've taken the time to really give him some comments and some feedback that he can work on. And he's going to maybe take those five things and maybe make a little bit of improvement. Is he going to get up to Billy's level? Probably not, but he can take a step forward and maybe Billy can take that stuff and, and jump on and, and take that with him into, into his next class. So that's, that's kind of my red pen rule. Um, whether something's a level four or a level one, I think kids should all get the same amount of feedback. They should all get, you know, the same amount of encouragement. Like I, I like to use that red pen, not just for the things you did wrong, but Hey, that was an outstanding answer. Um, I'll, I'll call kids out in, in, in class and, you know, Hey, Sally, can you stand up and read us your answer for number four? And she's like, what? Um, and, and then I'll, I'll pick that answer apart and I'll be like, did you hear that first part? She hooked me right at the beginning. Right. And I'll tell kids, this was why it was a great answer. Not just because she knew the right information, but because she said it with confidence because she used an example, right? All, all the things that are meaningful for them beyond the subject matter, right? How to formulate an argument, how to, uh, formulate uh, an answer that doesn't have to just be for grade nine chemistry or grade 12 geology, right? Like that can be a useful skill for whatever they're doing, whether they're presenting their own job resume or whether they're filling out a, a, a form, anything, right? Like, uh, you know, you know, they're, they're filing a complaint for the, person who's parked in front of their house or something like how to communicate i think uh the kids can always get feedback
that I think that's a that's a fabulous thing to to be unapologetic about. Vita, Chris, I'm looking at my clock here, and uh, you know what time it's telling me? It's telling me that it is Pulse in points, points time. time. It is everyone's favorite time of the show. The Pulse in points, my friends. We've been talking with Sean Clark tonight, and it has been uh, it it has been a really great learning experience. Uh, for me, and I know it has been for you too. Uh, the pulsing points from tonight, my friends, my teacher friends out there, listeners, be opportunists. Don't worry about where the river is going. When the opportunity comes, jump on it. Hey, my friends, you want some buy-in in your science classes and really any classes, but we're talking about science tonight. Ask what science is really about because most of the time, that's pretty cool. And and one of the cool things that it's about it's about the I don't know and figuring that out. My friends, there is nothing wrong and everything right with getting a little bit of physical activity in there. You know, make either coming to the class, leaving the class, or making it part of the class. Nothing wrong with getting moving. Huge, huge uh, pulse and point tonight. What fits, my friends, in your teaching? Use what works where it works. It's not about fitting everything into every lesson. It's about using what works where it works. My friends, this one was a huge one for me as well. Let's help our students figure out the story and the meaning in their learning. Let's help them find the story and the meaning. But we don't just have the pulse and points. We have to have the big vibes tonight. And there were some big vibes, Vito's. It's about making connections. Big vibe number one. What else? Big vibe, my friends. Science can give kids something to aspire to. I absolutely love that. Oh, my friends. And the last big vibe of the night. When interesting stuff comes your way, jump on it. Get on board. When something interesting is coming, don't just say, oh, I'm, I might wait till the next time that shows up. No, jump on the interesting stuff. And my friends, Sean Clark tonight, be unapologetic teachers in valuing equity over equality, meaning beyond subject matter. Listeners, Sean Clark tonight, putting on a clinic for us. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Sean, for being on tonight. It was awesome to have you. Well, thank you guys for this opportunity to chat. Uh, this has been a great experience, and uh, you guys, I'm, I'm loving the podcast. Um, you've had some some bang up conversations, uh, and and it's it's been great to to have an opportunity to connect when we're all feeling so disconnected. Um, so I really really appreciate this opportunity. Thanks, guys. Oh, you're quite welcome, and thank you so much for ideas we're going to steal, and thank you for joining Shamelessly. us for another episode. <laughs> shamelessly thank you for joining us for another episode of the unapologist podcast join us next week when we'll talk with great people learn new ideas and tell the story of teaching as it happens this is Vito and chris signing up the unapologist podcast